Hi, I'm Jackie Tantillo, and this is Should Have Listened to My Mother. Many Americans, in my mind, are obsessed with food in a very unhealthy way, constantly keeping track of and counting what they can eat, shouldn't eat, shouldn't eat, but then eat and then regret. <laughs> Self-image, and I'm not laughing at anyone, you know, in this scenario, um, but I'm, I'm laughing at how obsessed we are with this whole food thing. So self-image and self-esteem for many is very, very low, but it, it doesn't help by us constantly repeating to ourselves in the mirror how fat we are. Oh, you're so fat, you ate, you know, it just, it's terrible. And I include myself in that same expression to myself, so I'm, I'm guilty of all of this. We easily talk about the freshman 20 when kids go away to college and comfort themselves by overeating or eating the wrong foods because of being anxious and lonely their first time away from home. It's emotional eating. My guest, Leslie Chen, is the founder of Rise Lean and creator of Lean Instinct Formula. She was born and lived in China for 19 years before coming to the U.S. for the first time for school. She was unhappy and lonely. She sought comfort by burying her unhappiness in food. She gained weight. But the best part of the story is that she got the most support and love from the woman who she thought would judge her and berate her. Leslie Chen has a heartwarming story to share about the life-changing transition in the relationship between she and her mother and with her relationship with food. Leslie Chen, welcome to Should Have Listened to My Mother. Thank you so much, Jackie, for this kind and a warm introduction. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Well, I think it's a we need to talk about it, it's women in particular, I think, more so, but in general, to have a healthy society is a very Im important aspect of who we are and and well inner well-being, individual well-being. So Absolutely. I want to start off with your mom's name. Sure. Her name is Ping. Okay. And Ping is still still alive, still with us. Yeah, she's still and, with us. And is she in the U.S. or China? Right now she's visiting me in the United States, and she is going back to China in a month. So I, I just want to take a couple of minutes to get to know your mom and her childhood or her upbringing and to hear about how she's helped you become the business person and the, and the woman and mom you are today. Did your mom ever work? Yeah, she did. She, she started working when she was very young, I think 22 years old, right out of school. And then she gave birth to me. She took like one, two years of stop, and then she went back to work until she was 62, 61. And what was she doing? Oh, she managed, um, in China, we had a lot of state-owned enterprises. So she managed one of the department, one of the state-owned enterprises in my city. And was it a, a, a manufacturing or corporate or bank? What line? Of corporate. Corporate. It was corporate, yes. And you mentioned school. Did she have a higher education? She didn't have a higher education. By her years, it was very difficult for her to get higher education because at the beginning it was banned entirely and then they started opening up uh, it was it was also very ex extremely extremely difficult to get into a, to a university she had a high school diploma 
And uh, that was in a different city. So there was a lot of political background of this. Now she had to move with her family to a, to a rural city, not, not rural city, but rural area because of a political reason. And then 10 years later, they got back to Nanjing, which is her hometown and also my hometown. 10 years they had to live and lived away. Yeah, they, were, they had to go away because politically my... Um, you have heard of the Cultural Revolution? Yeah. <laughs> so many people were, many people were penalized um, during that era, era, right? It was various degrees. Some people died. Some people were put in jail. He's, uh, my mom's father as my grandpa, maternal grandpa used to be leading one of the major political roles in our city, municipal. And um, there was the cultural revolution going on. So most of the political figures at that time um, were penalized. And it was very, it was very tragic. So lucky for them is that they could go to the they can say that I'm going to quit this row and I'm going to move to the suburbs, not even suburb, but really rural places where they don't have electricity or, you know, um, they don't have anything there. They had running water. So they, the entire family of seven people, seven children moved there and they spent 10 years there until 10 years later, um, the cultural revolution ended and a lot of things got resurrected. They were able to come back. And after all these years, these 10 years, was she able to use her father's connections again to get settled? It was very complicated. But my mom and dad, they were actually neighbors growing up. So two families knew each other. And once they came back, um, my, my paternal grandpa did not, did not help with anything. It's more of the, her own father, my maternal grandpa, since he used to have a lot of friends in the system, so he got back. He was back into his. He was back into his original role. He was running some, you know, the the government departments, and then the family got settled fairly quickly. Your mom, she must have had a pretty tough life. She had a pretty tough life because the another another reason why she it was difficult for her because was because they had. They had five children in her household, and she was the middle. She was the middle. And the middle kid is the one who always got ignored, right? Because the oldest two, the oldest, the oldest kid is, is like the, the oldest kid, and, you know, you get all the attention. <laughs> then the second oldest kid, uh, my aunt, the, one of the aunts, my second aunt, let me call it this way, she is an extremely capable woman with very strong personality as well. So she always makes things right for her, right? Then here comes my, here comes my, um, my uncle, my uncle, again, the only son in a family. So he got whatever he wanted. And then it's my mom, right? So you already have three in front of you and you're not the one who gets any attention, but he has to take a lot of responsibilities. And then you got the youngest. Again, this is the youngest. The youngest one is supposed to be the sinusoidal of all eyes in the family, right? <laughs> getting, getting a lot of care from all the brothers and sisters. Right, the baby so, of the family in America. Exactly. It's the baby of the family, right? It's the baby, yeah. So my mom, since he, she is the, the second last and she's not a son, uh, she had to do a lot, not only for her parents, but also for the siblings. 
Mm-hmm. So that's why she is very independent. And even nowadays, if they have an issue, she's always the trusted, the first trusted partner. You know, they, they will, the siblings will reach out to her, even though uh, her parents already passed away. She's kind of still kind of like the, the core organizer. Wow, isn't that there. brilliant? That is just magical. The other, the elders had all the, yeah. the fluff in life, but they still yeah. come to your mom. That's very cool. Ping, exactly. you're great. <laughs> yeah, and she's also very strong-hearted, strong-hearted and also very strong, strong-willed. In my relationship with her, uh, was difficult, to be honest, because <laughs> now we're actually getting to the core. <laughs> mm-hmm. My relationship with her was difficult for a long time because I'm just, I have a very wild and also very independent soul. So... I remember when I was 12 year old, there was one time I forgot, I forgot what I wanted. I wanted to maybe attend some events with my, with my friends. And it was not a very safe time for me to go out at that time. Then I told her I was going to do this and she wouldn't let me. Then I told her this, I told her, I'm letting you know, not because I'm asking for your opinions, because this is a decision. I'm just letting you know. And then it didn't end up well at all. She slapped me for the first time (laughs) right there. She was so mad, very angry. But you have to also think about in China, we have this, you know, the culture where the parents are absolutely authority figures, absolutely authority figures. And in China, if any kid talks to the parent like that, the kid will be, you know, beaten so hard or slapped so hard. Nowadays it might be a little different because of this globalization culture movement, but back then it was really tough. But then she told me as soon as she slapped me, she regretted right away. And um, yeah. Did you go out? I, 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 did, I did go out. I did go out. I did go out. Yes. But later, that was when I was 12 years old. But later, 12? 12. 12. Oh. 12. <laughs> I did go out because he, he made sure she made sure that she called the um, the parents of my my other friend. Right, and she they probably felt so guilty. She was so guilty, and oh. we didn't talk for about three I think three or four days. And she apologized to me. And I know now, like in retrospect, knowing her personality, I know that it's not very very easy for her to apologize to <laughs> to anyone, yeah. especially when it comes to things that she believes that she was right. Right. Mm. So that was when I was 12 years old. Then um, four years later, I became a totally rebellious teenager when I was 16. Then I had this idea of moving out of China. (laughs) Wow. Right. That was like uh, the first time when this idea even emerged. And then I told her and, um, she was okay with the idea. She was okay with me leaving the country for education. But my school, my entire school of, there was 2,500 faculties and students. They had a big problem with it. It was because, um, you know, in the education system, the only thing you as a student have to focus on is to get good grades and then get into the local good university locally, right? So if you have an idea of going abroad for education and you let the others know, you're being the destructive and subversive element. 
because you're distracting the other people. You're infusing new ideas in them that might not work well with the, the school system, right? But I had the idea. And when my teacher asked me, I confessed, yes, I did uh, have, have this decision made. So I was pretty much berated by um, the school principal and the vice principal every Monday morning in front of 2,000 something students and faculties for being subversive. And this is a time when my mom stood up for me. And I was, I was surprised when she stood up for me because in this situation, also this is a cultural norm that the parents will be like, okay, yes, because this, this is a society's norm for students to only be focused on study and not think about the other things, right? You should do this. But she's like, I'm backing you up. Oh, that and, is brilliant. Oh, my gosh. The yeah. pressure that she must have felt. She felt a lot of pressure because he had to go to the school and basically the teachers were ridiculing her, you know, and the, it's, this is exactly what that she, they told her is that your daughter isn't that smart. <laughs> your daughter isn't that, she is not the top student. So what makes her think that she can enter the American university and get full scholarship there? You did. I did. I did. I did. <laughs> yeah. Year one totally failed. I, cause I mean, my bad, because I only focused on Ivy Leagues, and the only non-Ivy League that I applied for was Stanford. <laughs> mm. I'm not that wow. good, but I, I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it with whatever. And then the next year, I got admitted and with pretty good scholarship package, but um, got denied at a visa. So the visa interviewer did not let me go for some kind of concern. I don't know what the concern was. They didn't even specifically disclose it. So I had to try for another year, right? So there's a lot of pressure there because the entire school of over 2,000 people were watching me fail, fail, fail <laughs> year after year. Right. And, and gloating. The teachers were probably all gloating. Yeah. And also the, the, the family members because most of they're well-intentioned people, for sure, but they don't understand me. They don't understand that it's actually going to work. Because I had a vision that this is going to work, even though I know the success rate is extremely, extremely low if you are international undergrad applicants looking for that kind of money from the school system, right? So mm -hmm. I knew that it, the chance was very low. And m my family members were like, this is not a realistic goal. You should not even pursue it or think about it. Just play safe, get into a local university here, and then you can plan your future there. But I was sick and tired. I was really sick and tired. But my mom was the only person in the family who was standing up for me. My dad was against it strongly from the way beginning to the level that the third year, I didn't even tell him that I was doing this one more year. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I didn't even tell him that I was doing this one more year because I didn't want to hear anything from him about this anymore. Then... I got the scholarship. I got the uh, school's offer letter, the scholarship letter. And then I still didn't tell anyone. I remember I had to travel to Shanghai to, uh, uh, to get the visa, to go through the visa process. And I needed money. And I didn't want to tell my mom that I got the offer letter as well because I don't want her, I didn't want to let her down again in case I, I, won't get, in case I didn't get the visa this time again. Right? So I didn't tell anyone. I went to my grandpa, since my grandpa did not know that I, I was applying for American schools. In his mind, he thought I was just, you know, preparing for the Chinese high, uh, higher education exams. So I told him that I needed money to get to register for some of the 
after school classes right to improve my testing skills and he gladly gave me 500 us dollars in you know china dollar but mm. that translates to 500 uh, as registration fee <laughs> and that's the money i took to for me to apply for visa and then travel to shanghai and then uh, book a hotel there for two days and i got the visa this time came back showed my grandpa you know, I'm leaving in three months, and my mom, and my dad, and everybody, nobody believed it. <laughs> did you speak I, English before you came? I did. Well, you, you kind of had to, because not only have to take SAT, okay, three kind of exams I took. One is test of English as foreign language. You have to have a score uh, in order to be eligible as a foreigner to apply. And then the next exam I took was SAT because all American students took SAT. And I had to travel to Hong Kong to take it. It's not often in mainland China to non-American students. Now, after SAT, I also took GRE. It was because initially the, uh, the SAT tests were not offered in mainland China. I did not know if I could have a chance to ever take it in Hong Kong. So I took that GRE instead. I was thinking to myself, right, the student, if the school wants to some proof of your academic aptitude and I cannot take SAT. Now I might as well just take GRE to show that I'm, you know, good sure. on that side. So that's, that's, that's all the tests. Again, feeds back into the pressure because if you want to take the test, you have to study for the tests, right? And if you want to study for the test, that means that you're probably going to miss some homework at school. <laughs> that is such a great story, Leslie. That's it, really great. It, it's just that you have to be very clear about what you want about everything in life. Everything. So you made reference, I believe it was in your first email to me, about the challenges you had being away from China, being away from home, and being in, here living in the U.S. for the first time. And you had to get back on a plane and go home. And there were a lot of changes in your life between when you came here as a, as a, a student in the U.S. to when you were going home. So could you share with my listeners how, how yeah, this definitely. got going? Absolutely, Jackie. When I first came here, I did not anticipate I was going to gain 50 pounds. And it's not 15 because I know there is a, almost a proverb in the United States that freshman 15, but I gained 50. Five zero. Five zero. Okay. Yes. 30 pounds of the 50 was from the first, was gained in the first three months. And then and the remaining 20, uh, I put on extra 20 because I was doing different diets and it backfired. So in total, it was five zero, and my American roommate was joking with me, saying, "Welcome to America," and I can never, never forget that. It's funny though. So when I got to China, uh, my first fear was my mom was picking me up in the airport, and I'm gonna finally see her. I avoided seeing her in a camera for a couple of months by then. And once she sees me in the body, which is way larger than it used to be, she's gonna berate me. That was my biggest fear. So I remember I was in the airport. I was about two feet away from her, maybe one feet, but very close to her. And at the beginning, she didn't even recognize me. And she was looking at distance to still trying to see if I came out or not. So I finally had to call her, I said, mom, it's me. And she then realized it was me standing right in front of her. And I remember she paused for probably one or two seconds. It was very subtle. 
And then she said, oh, it's good to see you. And she didn't ask me anything about my weight. And she didn't, you know, call it out. That was pretty surprising to me. So during the entire way back home, I remember was sitting in the car for about 30 minutes, just thinking about how I can justify, you know, um, explain my weight gain to her. But she never asked me during the entire trip in China, which is about just a little bit over one month. So we were just eating a normal food that I used to eat when I was home. Uh, She did not make special food for me. She did not mention anything like exercising uh, because we didn't have this culture of going to the gym at that time. Now, what happened was one day, it was about like one month mark ever since I went home. And one day I just realized uh, the pants that I wore on the flight back to China felt way bigger. And I was, cu- I was curious what was happening. I stepped on the scale for the first time and I realized I was 14 pounds lighter. And one thing I do want to highlight here is that when I first got to China, I made a decision to myself that I was not going to do keep doing the uh, all the diets that I used to do in the United States. It's because I wanted my one month home in China as normal as possible. Because when I was in the United States doing diets after diets, I didn't even feel normal. Describe your mom for us, personality. Like you said at the airport, oh, she said hi. Did she give you a massive hug? Is, is she warm and affectionate? <laughs> come on, come on. We're Chinese. We don't hug each other. Oh. <laughs> if, if you tell your mom in China, you tell your mom, I love you, your mom will be in tears, you know, thinking you, 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 you're probably dying or something. <laughs> you don't express that. So she was, she was like, apparently she looked happy. Uh, the very initial moments were like she I, now because later I asked her how did you react to my weight gain I asked that question five years later and she's like I I was thinking about how I should react to that <laughs> and she did not show it but she chose the right she pulled out the right card you know because moms often don't get it right and that was a huge moment that was right. a huge moment exactly and you know, I really thought she would say something like, how did you get yourself here? Because growing up, she always had high expectation for me, no matter if it is academic standing in school or health or, you know, physical workouts stuff. And she, well, Asian, Asian moms are, are like tiger moms. A lot of us do have tiger moms, right? Tiger moms tell you you have to get A on everything. We've heard that once or twice about Taiwan. Right. <laughs> so. right. So, so I was terrified when I was on the way back home, uh, knowing that I was going to see her. I was mentally kind of playing what kind of words or what kind of criticism I might get from her. And I was mentally prepared to just go into that, you know. So for me, it was a big surprise that she didn't even mention about it. Oh, I can only imagine bracing yourself. You're so excited to see her, and and yet you are afraid of what's going to come. But I think she made a great decision in holding back and saying anything. And I think it's a lesson for all of us, parents or friends, to think before you react. You work so hard to get to a school, to get into a university in the States. So you should be really, really proud of all that you've accomplished. This was a temporary setback, and it's clear that you've changed not only your life and you're changing other people's lives as well. 
Through your businesses, through Lean Instinct Formula and Rise Lean, you teach master classes and you're a life coach. You offer all that. Should my listeners be interested in finding you? So your website is riselean.com, and you can get lots of information about Leslie on that website. It's very informative. And you can get your daily emails as well. <laughs> oh, do you enjoy the daily emails? <laughs> yeah, they're really great. There's a lot, even if you're not someone who's dieting or, you know, you're very confident, there's a lot of really good information there to have you become aware, you know, it's really great, really helpful indeed. You are not a doctor, correct? You've done a lot of research and studying over the years. Right. Exactly. But you helped yourself and you're, you're healthy and happy and that's the most important thing. And that's what I wanna make sure my listeners understand that they can all, they can right. all achieve this. Yes. Yes, I think it's it's important to to make it very transparent. I'm not a doctor, right? So what I'm te not teaching is not anything medical at all. It's rather a life, it's rather a lifestyle and a kind of mindset and routine, which can help you lose the weight effectively without being addicted to this weight loss game. So in a way, you can say that I'm replicating a lot of philosophy, right, using a lot of philosophy and um, what I've learned from China, right, to inspire people here into a different kind of pattern or environment, inner environment, a psychological setting when it comes to a relationship with food. There's nothing medical there. In a, in and it's not magic. I mean, some of these formulas that you use are ancient Asian traditions, right? tradition and it's very interesting because something are some some of them are really magical i can share with you why if your listeners are interested it's actually very effective when it comes to curbing sugar yes we have just a couple of minutes left sure yeah so one of the things that we do in china i will i use the english name called tea cert so it's t-e-a plus tea the tea that you would drink and s-s-e-r-t and that part is for dessert. It's a latter part of the word dessert. So teaser. Teaser, the name, I created the name. And it represents the combination of tea and dessert. And this actually comes from our tradition for many, many years. I'm talking about hundreds of years. And not just in China, but also in Japan and Korea, where we have the tradition when we have the dessert and pair it with tea. Because in China, we do always, we also have a lot of dessert that are sweet. But usually when you have the sweetness, you pair it with the tea because there is the bitterness in tea that helps you balance any, everything. It's just like the relationship of yin and yang, right? You want a kind of balance. And the good part of that when it comes to curbing your sugar addiction is that the bitterness actually helps you stop your further cravings for the sugar. So it not only just balances on it on a taste buds level, but also balances on the brain and the craving level because later uh, we did have many studies that proves that I think one of that that was published on uh, National Institute of Health is called the bitter of a little bit of bitter taste tense helps changing, rewiring your uh, brain's response towards sugar, which actually proves this theory. So I use this and I help my clients help their sugar craving 
um, especially when when they're having let's say some chocolate and they can't stop it. And before their body's responses towards sugar is wired, because that's more of a long run approach, right? If you want to do it now, uh, you can try to in- introduce some of the bitter food, for instance, the tea, you know, something that is slightly bit bitter to balance that sugar craving. So you feel like immediately you don't want the sugars anymore instead of feeling you can't stop. So right before you run for the chocolate or the ice cream, you make your cup of tea first. <laughs> so you have it. <laughs> exactly. You make the cup of tea first. Um, you have a bite of, let's say, the cake, right? And there's a lot of sweetness in your, in your mouth and you're feeling it, enjoying it, right? And you want to have the next. At this time, stop for a bit, take a sip of the tea. And it's better be something, I'm not talking about fruit tea, I'm talking about herbal tea like green tea, matcha, black tea, right? Have a sip of the tea. Let it sit in your mouth for something like 10 seconds so that it's saturated there. And then just think about, again, do you want the next bite of the ice cream or the next bite of the cake? Because what you're going to feel right away is that the craving dwindles right there. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. And we are out of time, Leslie. I'm so sorry. But it's been wonderful. And you, I'm telling you, if, if you need help and assistance with, with any that we've covered today, I would advise checking out Riseline, as in R-I-S-E-L-E-A-N, Riseline.com. Leslie Chen, you do a lot of work for a lot of people. I appreciate what you're doing. And, and hopefully some of my listeners will, will join in your work as well. Thank you so much, Jackie. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Should Have Listened to My Mother. <laughs>